Hello and welcome to another Faith and Film. And again, in the studio, in the flesh, Father Peter Malone from in, Melbourne, Australia. In reality. In reality, not even virtual. That's it. How are you? I'm well, thanks, James. Good. Now, 2016, you know, we're, we're into a new year. We are talking about films. There seems to be a bit of a, a Christ theme to start the year. And there's a film out towards the end of Lent, certainly in the UK, just before Palm Sunday on that Friday, which I believe is the 18th of March, Risen, Peter. You've just made me have a distraction. We had it at the beginning of Lent in Australia. We must be more devout than you are. Do you know what? I, I, I should know by now not to give you any such encouragement to bash the English and herald the Australians. Far be it from me as a Republican to do such a thing. <laughs> well, Risen, Peter, now this, this is a very interesting film. Set around about, what was it? Well, it'd be 33 AD, wouldn't it? That's it. I was actually surprised. I had never heard of it in production, and I received the invitation to the press preview. And I was going to be in Sydney and away when the film was released. So I decided to ask the publicist if I could go to the Sydney preview, which, instead of being in central Sydney where I expected it, was quite out in the northwestern suburbs. And to my surprise, at the um, complex... I expected to see reviewers, but then I realised it's actually in a very biblical area of Sydney, and I'd say they were canvassing a lot of the evangelical churches in the area, and I must say the audience obviously enjoyed the film and clapped at the end. So I didn't see it with the ordinary reviewers, but with this religious group. But I was quite impressed by it in its way, yes. Now, give us the backstory because this isn't, isn't this one of the Roman soldiers who's actually been charged with finding the now disappeared body post-crucifixion? Yes, it's one of those stories, a bit like the robe back in the 50s and even aspects of Ben-Hur when you think of it. It starts actually with the Romans fighting the zealots. Very interesting, actually, the tactics of the Romans with their shields and that tortoise strategy compared with the zealots who were throwing heavy rocks at them, etc. So it's not exactly for young children right in the opening, but they arrest Barabbas, so it's not exactly biblical accurate, although it says that it is inspired by the Gospels. The Roman Tribune, who's played by Joseph Fiennes very seriously, comes back to report to Pontius Pilate, who's played by Peter Firth. All Pilate is interested in is, did you win? So as they're talking, Pilate then explains that he's had this difficult situation with a man called Yeshua. And so in the explanation, we realise, of course, what Pilate is talking about. And in case we didn't, he actually washes his hands. So we've got the reference. But the tribune... Clavius is sent out to Calvary to make sure that the executions are over. And the centurion is there in admiration of Yeshua. So the legs are broken of the two thieves, as we know, and then Yeshua's side is pierced. And there is a glimpse then of Mary and John and some of the others at the foot of the cross. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but at this stage, just for the setting, Joseph of Arimathea arrives with a letter from Pontius Pilate with permission to take the body, and the others are thrown into a lime pit, which I did find interesting. I hadn't thought of that. And then 
The body is put and Clavius makes sure it's secure. Huge stone, official seals and two, very unreliable, Roman soldiers who are complaining that they wanted their day off but one smuggled in a bottle of wine are set at the tomb. So Caiaphas appears very agitated and we know that he wants uh, Pilate, you know, to make sure that everything is secure. Right, when they go back later, the body is not there. The tomb is empty. He rises from death, he sleeps and then disappears. He has a body. The same vessel Yahweh gives all men. It is how he has reached out to us. I have every answer. We're astounded too. Why not just show himself to all then? Hmm? Or can he be slain once more? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I wish I did, but I don't. The answer's wait in Galilee. We are followers. We follow to find out. But it's all being seen from the point of view of the Romans. Now, we can fill in the background, but it's interesting to have their perspective. And so Pilate is upset. Caiaphas, I think, is even more upset. So Clavius is commissioned to go to search Jerusalem for the body. And that upsets the Jews, actually, when he's there you know, rummaging in all the burial places. So can't find the body. And then he's commissioned to actually go and interview the disciples of Yeshua to try to find out what they believe, what their attitude towards the risen prophecy that was there. There's an elderly lady who is blind, who gives testimony. Bartholomew, of all the apostles, is the one who is interviewed. Very cheery chap, very enthusiastic about things. Mary Magdalene. There's an interesting line. I hadn't thought of this, but the Roman soldiers check her out and they say, yes, she's the one. So obviously they know her from her previous profession. And then there's a Judas-like person who actually then is prepared to sell the information for silver, etc. Now, what happens is that they follow to where the apostles are fearfully hidden, the upper room, and as Clavius looks in, Yeshua is there. I don't even know what to ask. Speak your heart. I cannot reconcile all this with the world I know. With your own eyes you've seen, yet still you doubt. Imagine the doubt of those who'll never see. That's what they face. What frightens you? Being wrong. When you died, I was present. I helped. I know. What is it you say, Clavius? Certainty? Peace? A day without death? I think I'm going to leave it at you in suspense as to what happens, what Clavius does, and how that relates to Yeshua, to the apostles, to the Romans, and to Pilate. So you can see it's familiar material. I have to say it does get very faith-centred towards the latter part of the film, perhaps a bit evangelical in some ways. But I hope I've described it interestingly. Well, you have, because I, I haven't had the benefit of a preview screening and I'm pretty keen to see it. Just tell me, with films like this that look at backstory or look at a perspective that perhaps isn't the one regularly told, 
Is it plausible or are we going to be tutting and shaking our heads at some of this? I think it moves fairly rapidly from Clavius seeing Yeshua in the upper room. Not to spoil anything, I'd have to say it finishes with the ascension. You're not surprised. <laughs> I like the ascension, actually. Jesus doesn't levitate or go up in a cloud, but he actually walks towards the sunrise, which mm. I thought I rather liked. You can't do a spoiler in this one, can you? Not that one, anyway. I could do a spoiler, but um, it's what Clavius does. So uh, I think that's quite interesting. It does remind us of The Robe. Did you see The Robe? It was back in the 1950s, the first film in Cinemascope. Oh, no, I haven't seen it. You haven't? I know, I know. I should be... Well, you can decide the punishment, Peter. I'm just recovering from the shock. Well, Richard Burton is a Roman official, and, of course, it's the same kind of thing. Can I put in a parenthesis, this might seem rather irreverent, but at the Berlin Film Festival, the opening film was the Coen brothers' Hail Caesar. And it's a pleasant spoof of MGM Studios in 1951. They're making this spectacle called Hail Caesar. And it was the year that Quo Vadis was actually released. But they call it Tale of the Christ, which, of course, is the subtitle for Ben-Hur, So there's some parallels with Ben-Hur and the Roman legions and George Clooney as the uh, tribune, a vain actor, full of himself, etc., who forgets his key word at the scene at the foot of the cross. But it's that same kind of thing, a Roman tribune affected by Jesus at Nazareth, exactly out of Ben-Hur, and then at the foot of the cross. So I thought that was interesting, coming out the same time as Risen, well, it's a good point because that that might not be all. I mean, whether or not this particular film I'm about to mention gets a cinematic a general release or, or whether straight to DVD or maybe Netflix, Amazon out over here. Young Messiah. Now, that sort of bookends it a bit because that film looks a little bit more at the... I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to some of those Passion of the Christ flashbacks, you know, when yes. Jesus sort of runs and trips and his mum comes to him. It is a bit like that now that you mention it. It's an interesting situation that um, a friend of mine who's a vice president of our World Catholic Association for Communication, Cygnus, Frank Frost, who's a documentary maker, was contacted by a company who are promoting, well, they were promoting a film about Mother Teresa called The Letters, and he suggested that I might look at it and write a statement. So I was sent the um, Vimeo link right from America to Melbourne, So that seemed to have worked. And then I was sent another one with the news of this film, The Young Messiah. So I watched it. And I liked the beginning. It says, inspired by and rooted in the scriptures, Hmm. an imaginative interpretation of Jesus at the age of seven. I think it's well done. The director, who co-wrote it with his wife, is an American of Iranian background Sean Bean, this time, is the Roman centurion, so we're there with the centurions and especially um, the memories of uh, Herod killing the innocents, but Herod Antipas is now the ruler, and the Tribune reports to him. So you can see some parallels between the two films. But it's solely about Jesus at the age of seven in Egypt, surprisingly able to heal a bully boy, who was um, taunting Jesus, and then Jesus had to save this little girl. 
So they're a bit upset when the boy dies and then even more amazed when he comes to life again. But Jesus, not quite understanding his powers and wondering why they're in Egypt and Mary and Joseph, Joseph very well presented, Mary a bit quiet, not telling him exactly all the story. I know this is in Alexandria. Do you miss it? No. Do you? I don't think of it like that. But it was the only home that you ever knew. And this is so quiet and isolated. We're safe here. No one knows what I've done. And you must never tell anyone. I know you have many questions. But you need to let them sleep in your heart for now. Why? Because your questions are the questions of a child. But the answers are the answers for a man. The rest of the film is going back to Nazareth and encountering the Romans on the way, including Sean Bean, who's busy pursuing zealots and rebels. They go to the Jordan. There's another healing there with uh, Cleopas, who's the relative, and uh, James Cleopas' son starts to tell young Jesus you know, that there are some things that happened in your past. When they get back to Nazareth, he impresses the rabbi there with his knowledge of the scriptures. And the basic thing is, Herod wants to get him, and so the centurion is really after him, especially when he realises that he had let him go previously. And Jesus then wants to go to Jerusalem, five years earlier than the Gospels, I must say. But he wants to go to Jerusalem just to find out who he is and to speak with the rabbis there. And uh, he doesn't die. So that's it. It's no major surprises in the plot, except that it's a nice imagination of what might have happened in accordance with the scriptures. My hunch is that it could be a good um, religious education, catechetical film. I think uh, younger audiences Mm. might actually benefit by this kind of imaginative gospel story, and some adults probably enjoy it as well. So there is a general fascination amongst filmmakers for Jesus and um, what he stood for, however their particular faith or belief, where that might lie. But we do learn about the remarkable nature of Jesus' life. I think it's an American phenomenon. I'm not sure whether they'll come to the UK or not or how they'll come, even perhaps uh, Young Messiah to Australia or not. There's Netflix and all kinds of means these days or DVD. But um, I presume they'll get their money back in the United States with the faith audiences. And I wouldn't be unhappy if um, they did a few more inventions rooted in and inspired by the Gospels. Very well put. Peter, thanks very much again. Thanks, James.